Hello and welcome to the Filmside Chats podcast. My name is Chris Dillard. I'm Patrick Foster. And we are two friends who enjoy movies. Uh, we don't really have an intro for this episode. We're just kind of winging it here, if you can tell. Uh, Patrick mm-hmm. and I, um, we go back, what, 11 years now? Yeah, we're getting old. Yeah, uh, we, we, we are getting old. Um, and it's funny because Patrick and I went to the same school. We were friends before we realized we were actually in film school together. So I think our first class we had together was, wasn't it Bad Films? It was probably bad films, yeah. Bad films, and um, that's a, I think that's a funny thing that you know we want to talk about movies, but our first experience together was was in fact bad films. So, <laughs> um, I was, another thing I also remember about you, Patrick, uh, in college is that you had a very large movie collection, and we would frequently have movie nights at, at your apartment. Yeah, um, I actually I think you attended one of them, but one of the most memorable ones is someone gave me as a gift a. A set of 20 or 25 older grindhouse films and um one of my more memorable parties was uh, a taco a taco night with like 20 people over <laughs> sitting around in our tiny living room in our apartment uh watching grindhouse movies and uh yeah we we used to have viewing parties like that a lot uh, some of them uh, more serious than others, but yeah, those those were always a, a good deal of fun. Yeah, I, I remember one. Of, there were two movie nights I remember specifically. One of them was a movie called Black Sheep. Um, <laughs> that was one of the Grand House. It was one of the Grand House films. It was not. Yeah. It's not the the '90s film uh, with Chris Farley and David Spade, but nope. it's like I think it was a 2006 New Zealand film where the guy becomes like a wear sheep or something like that. Uh, it, it was definitely uh, an interesting B movie to watch, mm-hmm. and, and I will always remember that 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 movie. And then another one, I think it was um, it was a Christian Bale western movie, um, or was it Three Ten to Yuma? I think is yeah. what it was. I think yeah. because my my roommate at the time, David, uh, he was big into that, so so he wanted to go to one of the movie nights. So I, I'll always I'll always remember those. those. Which the funny thing about that is. Uh, I mean, I guess Black Sheep isn't a remake, but both of them have movies with the exact same title that were made earlier. Oh, well, them. there we go. Uh, that's, Three Ten to Yuma is actually a remake. I, I would never have guessed that, actually. But that that seems about the par for Westerns. Um, the, the, is it Magnificent Seven coming out? Isn't that a remake yeah, as well? It is. So uh, I guess we're just burnt out on Westerns. We're just going to redo them. We're going to reboot them. Who, who's the next Clint Eastwood? Is it Scott Eastwood? Is that, is that? Uh, I think it has to be. I think he has to take up the mantle of his father. He and, does. Uh, I, I feel like he's more of a, a, a sex symbol than a than a gruff, um, you know, uh, man's man right yeah. now. But as as he gets older, maybe that'll transition. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Like, I the last again, the last movie I saw him in was the recent Suicide Squad, and he actually wasn't very prominent in the film, which was kind of weird. Be, uh, you know, like. To have someone of that you know caliber and name and like pedigree in a movie, but like kind of relegate into the back of the movie, uh, whereas like one of the main leads was the guy who played RoboCop in the remake RoboCop. I don't know if you saw that one or not, but I didn't. Uh, I did not. That's a, that's an interesting movie. The first half really good. Second half off the rails, man. Just loses focus. <laughs> uh, oh well. So uh, the purpose of this podcast, we we we've been talking about this for months now. I think, 
um, on and off about doing a podcast about movies. Like that's something we we like to watch and and I think talk about you know more. I guess I, I don't know how you want to like talk about it. Like again, we studied film. We 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 know how to watch. We like watching movies. We know how to look at movies a little differently. I think and that that benefits us. But I mean. What, what what do you hope to get out of this podcast, Patrick? As well, um, honestly, I'm, this all this all stemmed from when we were hanging out um, when I was working out of town, and we were hanging out in Louisville together. And you and I sat for a couple hours at a bar, and we're just talking movies. And I'm, I'm like, I don't know if this would be entertaining to anybody else, but I'm having a blast doing it. So if we want to record it and put it out there and see what happens. Um, if other people can connect with it, then that's a great way for me to be able to talk movies more often with my friend and mm-hmm. perhaps get other people involved in the conversation, which is, I mean, it's, it's the goal of any, I guess, discussion where you go in depth on anything is to get more ears and more mouths involved. Yeah. I think one thing I, I, whenever I did leave, uh, school and, and film school was that I learned that a lot of people don't know how to talk about movies anymore. Like the, the you can go watch a movie and then if someone's like, well, what did you think of that movie? Most of the time it's either good or it's bad. There's no in between and no one really knows how to talk about movies anymore. Like what was good? What was bad? Like sell me on this movie or don't sell me on this movie one, one way or the other. And hopefully, you know, again, we can use that this medium as a way for us to talk about movies rather than just saying they're good or bad and you know maybe like you said get other people able to do that as well and, and feel comfortable I, I have it. a you know something that is probably going to come up over and over um with with my life uh is uh, many of the movies that i watch now uh, i watch with my in-laws um my wife's parents mm-hmm. love to go to the theater but there is there is no such middle ground for them. It is a good movie or it is a bad movie, and these lines are rigid. And neither one of them can define the lines, but these lines are rigid and uh, inflexible. So I, I feel like I'm going to bring them a lot uh, up a lot in the podcast because it seems like they either love the movie that we go see or they hate it. And there, there is no in between. And the funniest part to me is the fact that it is, like I said, it's a good movie or a bad movie. It's mm-hmm. it's not um, that movie had a good performance from this actor, or I like the writing, or the score was distracting, or anything like that. It's good, good or bad. Good or bad. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, I I hear a lot of that, and I guess you know we're gonna. My thing for me is. Um, I already have another podcast called Superhero Slate, so I hang a lot with a lot of comic book people and, and pop culture fans, and it's the same way. Like you know, they go watch a movie; they're either it's a good movie or a bad movie. They don't know why. It's usually a good movie because it had characters they've seen from their comic books in it, or it was bad because of you know they didn't adapt the storyline properly. Like there's no other way that this movie can be good or bad. So uh, I, I definitely agree with you. Like there's. It, it's just there's just a lack of I don't know, not communication but I guess conversation in film so yeah I look, I look forward to, to having some with with Patrick here um, 
we Patrick was actually recently um, our first his first podcast was the Superhero Slate podcast for my wedding uh, a couple months ago. So I hope he's had a good enough time to come back again. So to to, <laughs> to do more podcasts. So it, it, we didn't we didn't scare him off too bad. Yep. So that's good. Um, so this I did not like listening to myself though. That's for sure. It it definitely takes uh, a couple times to to get used to that. Uh, I, I agree with that. So I guess the the purpose of this first podcast is maybe to let you guys know a little bit more about us before we kind of get into the heavier stuff in, in the coming episodes. Um, and to do so, we've made some lists, uh, a couple lists, our top five favorites, and hopefully our bottom five movies, our least favorites. No, no one's ever done that before. No yeah. one's ever made a list of their top five. The, this before. is the the most clickbait podcast you will ever see. <laughs> um, you won't believe what we choose for number three. Um, <laughs> but I guess I, we were talking before it started, and uh, I don't even know if we have. I don't know if we have full list. Do you hear that train in the background as well, Patrick? That's oh, I do. That is that is the train that lives outside my apartment, and it goes off okay. every couple minutes. So we're just going to imagine it sneaking around the apartment, peeking into windows. Have you have you ever seen? Um, it, it's a Leslie Nielsen movie. Um, I can't think of the name of it now. Oh my gosh! But there's a scene in it where it, it's making fun of the fugitive, and he's running from the train, but the train like goes off the track and is like hiding behind trees trying to find him. I have not, but is it is it one of the naked guns? No, it's not a naked gun. Um, okay. It I I'm gonna have to look this up because it's gonna drive me crazy because I, I like Leslie Nielsen so I I don't know the naked guns nearly as well, but I definitely. Uh, I own this movie downstairs on my on my list, but it, I can't think of what it's called. Uh, I'm gonna have to look it up. If if you were to, while I do this, if you were to pick a Leslie Nielsen movie that was your favorite, which one would you choose? Oh, Airplane. It's not even close. Airplane, really? Yeah. Uh, wrongfully Accused is the one I'm looking for. Actually, um, okay. It's it's essentially a ripoff of the fugitive. It's a straight parody of the fugitive, and he's looking for a one armed, one eyed, one legged man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's very entertaining. Even the DVD cover has the train chasing him because of that scene. Like, it's just very, very humor. Like, Leslie Nielsen delivering everything with a straight face, despite the fact he has years of, like, you know, good movies before he got into slapstick. What? Yeah. Uh, we need to do a Leslie Nielsen podcast because I just looked up in 2000. He starred in a. 2001 uh, Space Odyssey parody called 2001 A Space Tra- Travesty <laughs> and his character's name is Richard Dick Dix. <laughs> okay. Yes. So Dick Dix, uh, Leslie uh-huh. Nielsen, keeping it classy. Uh, God rest <laughs> his soul. So the, the, the best part of this is it, just looking it up here. Um, it was released in 2000 in Tokyo only and it's Canada and Germany film so i don't even know if it's ever come to america so that's gonna be even better to, to see what what that is those are the sort of references you get here on film side chats that's right film side chats <laughs> oh man like i didn't know, know he was in kentucky fried movie as well uh in an uncredited cameo so uh poseidon adventure the original one if you, if you i'm just looking this up as i go here you know just picking movies out of a, <laughs> a list i feel like you're you are already just totally ruining our our future nope. Leslie Nielsen I'm, podcast. I'm putting it right here in my notes. Leslie Nielsen <laughs> podcast. All right. We'll need at least two hours for that one. At least two hours. And I'm going to have to watch all of these movies. All mm-hmm. 100 
something of them. So, uh, I forget what we're talking about. We're talking about the train driving by. That's right. And they got us on Leslie Nielsen. Sorry. Yes. But we have lists. Lists. Five five movies. We have not shown each other these lists. However, I do know one of Patrick's because he ruined it for me when he was looking up the year earlier. Uh, only because Oatmeal's <laughs> a cheater. That's it. I, That's yeah. I'm a cheater. My nickname is Oatmeal, by the way, in case nobody knows that. It's, oh, it's sorry. A, it's a college... It's, it's cool. It's cool. It's a college nickname. I, I still go by it. Like... I, it's one of those things, like, I fought it, and it, then because I fought it, it became my nickname. So that's that's the problem with it. So my list is not in any particular order, like, one through five. It's just five movies I enjoy. Right, when someone, for me. Yeah, so when someone asks me what my favorite movie is, I'm like, I can't pick one top. Like, I can usually give you a genre or a decade, maybe, but, like, it's different. So same, same with you. Great, we got that out of the way. Patrick, go ahead. Start me off with one of your movies. We'll alternate here. We'll go back and forth. Sure. Um, I'll start with the one that you ruined for yourself, so then yeah. the rest will be surprises. Um, my One of my f- top five movies is from 2007. Uh, sh- should have won Best Picture that uh, the following year, in my opinion, but uh, that's fine. It was up against some good competition. Uh, there Will Be Blood okay. is, is one of my top five. Um, when I saw that movie first... Uh, I one thing that I remember most about it is um, the I mean first of all the obviously the commanding presence of Daniel Day Lewis and taking over I mean taking over the entire film in whatever scene he was in he um, I mean he was just a powerful intimidating um, scary person um mm-hmm. he, he tends to inhabit the role very well um i've, I've not seen there will be blood so the, I, this is going to be homework for me this week okay but i do remember him in gangs of new york and like he he is that person there's it's yes. not you're not looking at daniel day lewis acting as someone you're looking at that person so i, yes. I, I agree and actually um gangs of new york uh that's a good way to describe his his screen presence even in in this film um it it is it is a very uh, I don't know gangs of New York sort of role. I mean it's a completely different role. I shouldn't mm-hmm. compare the roles, I guess. But um, the way that uh, yeah the way that his character takes over the film. Um, yeah, I remember when I watched Gangs of New York. I, you know I was kind of bored with some of the Leo scenes, and I'm like, hey, let's get back to <laughs> <laughs> let's get back to Daniel Day Lewis. Um, anyway, but then the other thing that I remember most about the movie. Um, striking me at the time was it was the first time that I I remember watching a movie in theaters and immediately noticing the soundtrack and how the the score just uh, really influences the um, I don't know the the un the uneasiness you feel um, in in different scenes or the intensity that you feel in scenes um, I, I always feel like uh, you know, the score seems to uh, influence uh, horror movies above, above others as far as feeling uh, uneasiness or uh, that sort of intensity. But um, th- with this movie, it's like a, a strange, like staccato sort of soundtrack, like a um, w- weird music that starts out as being like unsettling because it's offbeat uh, of one mm-hmm. another. And I mean, without you having seen seen the film you won't know what i'm talking about but i guarantee when you watch it you you will um uh know immediately what music i'm talking about where it starts out like 
the notes are or the percussion is offbeat from one another so it just feels strange and then um as the scene progresses uh the like the music uh flows more the, there's more of uh like things come together a little bit more so it's it's not quite as unsettling as the scene starts uh, as the way the scene starts but um and ever since that movie i i've been a big fan of uh, paul thomas anderson and uh-huh. I, I feel like he I, I went back after that movie i went back and i watched magnolia and boogie nights uh, you know both great films um they're great character pieces they really build the world yes. and the character around that and like you know, you feel for them, even if, you know, they are essentially the worst person in that movie in the world <laughs> at that time. Uh, and that actually uh, is a seamless way to transition to the other movie that I went back and watched at the time, which was Punch Drunk Love um, with uh, Adam Sandler. Okay. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, have you seen that one? I, I have not, no. I'm, okay. I, I So I tend to avoid Adam Sandler uh, at okay. any cost, so, but... Uh, there, there is this this movie. Um, if Adam Sandler did an interview now, it would it would probably be a blight on his uh, in his opinion on his uh, film career um, because it is nothing like Adam Sandler movies mm-hmm. that you've seen before. Um, it is, uh, yeah, it's something completely out of character for him. Um, it's it's the first time you saw uh, you know John C. Riley in a serious role, or um, it's it's when you see uh, uh, what's his name in uh, Moneyball, um, traditionally a comedic oh, actor. Um, uh, Jonah Hill. Yeah, Jonah Hill. You know, it's 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 that sort of transition, um, even more so. Uh, it's actually probably more akin to uh, Jonah Hill appearing in Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. <laughs> because. Um, it, I mean, it is uh, just a kind of a sort of despicable role, I, I, w- I would say, for uh, for Adam Sandler um, okay. in his typical persona. He does not do the Adam Sandler uh, voice. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, it's no sure. little Nicky's what you're saying. Uh, well, I mean, in the pantheon of film, it's probably slightly below Little Nicky. Like, I mean, oh, okay. But I think we can all agree with that, and that would obviously be two rungs below Jack and Jill. Oh well, um, yes, of course. Yeah, right, right. So, <laughs> <laughs> as long as we're getting all our standards straight. Yeah, of course, of course. So, so just to make sure, Punch Rock Love's not on your list. Just there will be. No, blood. it is. Okay, not. Um, okay. But I, I, I think it's worth checking out if you're a fan of. Paul Thomas Anderson. Okay. Well, that actually is great because that leads me into mine because you chose Paul Thomas Anderson film and mine's a Wes Anderson film with Perfect. Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, this was a movie... I mean, we've all seen Wes Anderson movie. They're quirky. They're, they're, they're personality, kind of hipster films, if you will. Um, and I, I really like the fantastic Mr. Fox movie, the, the animated one he did. And I know there was a lot of behind the scenes country did he really direct it because it was made in europe and he just kind of like called in to check how it was going kind of deal but um a lot of wes anderson movies they're quirky and they're fun and they're shot really interestingly but they lack a lot of heart like they just don't have like the character development and care that you need in a movie i feel and grand budapest hotel i think is the pinnacle of wes anderson It's, it's him operating at full force 
and taking lessons he's learned from those other movies, um, you know, beforehand, um, uh, you know, Fantastic Mr. Fox, the Royal Tenenbaums, uh, I can't even think of a couple other ones because I'm just, I'm that person who forgets names very easily. Uh, but I really, the Grand, Grand Budapest Hotel, I went in and, you know, I was I expected a good time, but I didn't expect to be blown away. And um, it's a funny story because how I got to see it is, um, it was actually at an, an, the art theater in, in Carmel, Indiana, uh, whenever I lived there. And the lady beside me was a very, very older lady and she was dressed up very nicely and she kept putting her lipstick on in the middle of the movie, like every like 10 <laughs> minutes. And if she felt like a character in this movie, and I really think that's kind of added to the, the viewing experience because normally I really, I going to a movie, like I dread the audience because you never know what you're going to get. Um, you know, people checking cell phones, eating loud food near me. Like it just, I don't know. It just kind of gets on my, my nerves a little bit, you know? And, um, I think she really added to it, but the Grand Budapest Hotel, like the way the, the the characters are in there, I think the thing that got me is probably more the way it's shot more than anything. Like he does the the direct pans, like the ninety degree uh, swivels with the camera. The Wes uh, Anderson. The Wes Anderson, pretty much, you know, following it through on an obviously back projected screen on 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 some moving things. Uh, even like when it, the hotel in itself, you never see the real hotel. You see a miniature of the hotel, and and they they the characters kind of operate around that. But uh, I, I I just something about this movie just really resonated with me, and I it might be because of you know of the the way it looked, the way it felt, the way the characters were there. They were all very unique, outstanding. You know, for a World War II, I think it's a story within a story within a story is how this movie operates even better. So, um, I don't know. I just really, really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed uh, grand Budapest hotel. Um, I thought one of the things that you said up front was really interesting how, um, this was a, uh, Wes Anderson film with more, um, did you say hearts? Yeah. Or? Yeah. More, more, yeah. More heart in it is what I would say. Um, and I would agree with you, uh, because I was looking at some of his other films, and I've seen I've seen all of his films. I've been a fan uh, ever since my brother and I used to watch uh, Bottle Rocket together. My my brother uh, showed me Bottle Rocket forever ago, and I've been a Wes Anderson film since then. I, if I had to pick a favorite of his movies, it would probably be um, Darjeeling Limited. Mm-hmm. Um, but. For, as far as like heart and sentimentality, I think he normally lacks that only because his kids, um, his kids in his movies play adults, mm-hmm. uh, typically or act like adults. Um, and that, uh, you know, provides a lot of humor to the movie a lot of times, but it's, you know, it, then it, it seems a little bit, um, I don't know, stale, a little forced, uh, or not forced. I, I don't want to say that, but like, um, it, it makes it obvious that they're playing that role. Um, not, um, you know, not as, as lifelike, I suppose. Yeah. The, well, the, um, it, it lacks the wonder, I guess, of like, you know, looking through a child's eyes and, yeah. and the, the actress, uh, Tony Revolori, who played uh, zero in grand Budapest, like he still had that, like he had a whole section, you know, falling in love with, uh, the girl played by uh, Sersha, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it, Sersha Ronan, and um, it was there. And I, it's, I, I agree with you. Like you know, the 
the kids always she he had points where he acted like an adult but at the same time he was still a kid so sure had that wonder um yeah that that's a that's a great addition i was actually trying to figure out a way to squeeze in a wes anderson movie like i said <laughs> i i enjoy all of them um i but i i did not put any of them in my in my top five um it he is uh Every time he releases uh, a movie, it's a, it's a must-watch for me, but it's never been something that, I guess, has um, blown me away, mm-hmm. I, would, I would say. Yeah, I, I think the thing about this movie is, is one thing, I can always put it on, no matter, and just have it playing, and watch it every day and never be bored with it, is is the way I look at this movie, like, why it made my list as well. So Sure. Yeah. So go on, surprise me, Patrick. Hit me with, hit me with one I don't know on, on your list here. Uh, well, whatever you hadn't seen, there will be blood. So I already did that. Oh no! I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. All right, podcast over, um, guys. That was yep, it. No. That's right. <laughs> uh, my next one is actually um, so I kind of cheated with this one as I did with the last one too. But um, this is uh, an ode to uh, Charlie Kaufman. Um, I have been a big fan of his screenwriting uh for all of his films um i went ahead and for my top five i chose eternal sunshine of the spotless mind Mm -hmm. um i remember seeing that in theaters for the first time with little expectation um i had i was like oh jim carrey in a in a dramatic role sure Uh, that sounds interesting unique um oh and that guy from lord of the rings sure whatever um, was Lord of the Rings out by the time this movie I don't came out? It will, actually, my not okay. So not Lord <laughs> of the Rings. It would have been from The Faculty. Okay, the, the guy from the guy with big eyes from The Faculty. Of course, that, that, um, <laughs> that's a, that's a little that's a little known gem in the the sci fi horror district there. That's, that's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mostly this this movie. Um, you know, Charlie Kaufman's writing uh, combined with the creativity of uh, Michel Gondry. If if someone had if someone had approached me about trying to visualize this film, um, here's what I'm writing about. I'm writing about um, someone wanting to erase their memories and um, get rid of a person in their life. What would that feel like? What what does that look like? Um, how how do we uh, visualize a dream and how do we uh, show that creatively? Um, and I think so. The, the combination of of the writing and and him, you know, traversing back through memories, and the way the story unfolds, that it still manages to not at all be a a science fiction movie. Because I, f- I feel like under a different direction or um, a slight, you know, a slight change in the writing style. This could have been a science fiction movie of some sort. It could have been a total recall. Yeah, I was gonna say total or, recall comes to mind, like when you, right. when you mention it that way. Um, and uh, Michelle uh, Michelle Gondry just has, uh, yeah, like a more creative style, and he was able to visualize these scenes that uh, Charlie Kaufman was writing about. Whether it's the characters with familiar voices and somewhat familiar faces but their faces are kind of melting as the memory disappears or the screen is it seems like it's shot in a dark hallway with only one key light um and as uh kate and 
uh, Jim Carrey are, are running away from, or you know, trying to avoid. Uh, uh, I don't don't even remember his name, but the the eraser. The um, he's a Hulk. In, yeah, yeah, Mark uh, Ruffalo. Thank you. Um, so as uh, Mark Ruffalo tries to erase their dreams, and then the the creepy stalker like quality of. Um, you know, Elijah Wood as as uh, my namesake Patrick in in this film, um, kind of uh, as his memories are you know uh, scattered throughout of him hitting on Kate and um, as that uh, is kind of woven into the plot. I I, I just really enjoy the way Charlie Kaufman um, you know is able to imagine or write about things that that I'm, I'm not able to put into words and then how perfectly uh, I think Michel Gondry was able to visualize them. So I, I, put, I put this movie in there, but um, honestly, it could have easily been um, being John Malkovich, uh, as, I, as I love uh, Charlie Kaufman's writing in that movie as well. Um, adaptation was also pretty wild. Um, and I enjoyed that one. Uh, mm-hmm. Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Uh, his screenplay is hilarious and um, yeah, really enjoyable as, uh, you know, kind of his take on an action film. So, it, um, yeah, it, this was just my ode to Charlie Kaufman, really. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I, I remember, I believe... I watched this years ago. It's a 2004 film, so yeah, Lord of the Rings would have been out. You were you were right as usual, and yes. <laughs> but I I remember watching it uh, years ago um, because I, I enjoy Jim Carrey. Like one, of the, I don't like a lot of comedies, but I, something about him just kind of draws me to him. And I haven't watched it in a while, but it's on my Netflix to watch list to re- refresh myself. So um, more homework, more things to get off my Netflix uh, queue, if you will. Cool. So. so. Um, also, if you if you have time, um, and it's at Redbox now, uh, Charlie Kaufman's latest offering is uh, a stop motion animated movie uh, called Anomalisa, and uh, my wife and I watched that the other day. I'd be I don't want to get too deep into it now because we <laughs> have we have a, a list and we're sticking to it. But um, I would like to to see what you think of that. Okay. As well. I will, I will, it's, it's on my list right there. And I'm all cool. There you go. Um, so this is, is going to go a little bit differently here because again, you chose a movie that leads directly into one of mine. Um, <laughs> Jim Carrey we did not plan this, did not plan this. Jim Carrey is, is again, I don't like counties, but when you're younger and you, you don't have a lot of movies, where I grew up, we had a movie store we rented from, but they didn't have a whole lot of selection. It was like a local chain, not like a national chain. Um, closest movie theater was 30 to 45 minutes away. I didn't get a chance to go to do a lot when I was younger. But one of the movies I do remember getting and owning uh, was younger was actually Dumb and Dumber. And this may tell you a little bit more about me as a person. I'm a goofy person. Uh, little I, the, people will tell you that I, you know I'm, I'm I'm not all there sometimes, but like in a, in a funny way, I guess. I, I hate saying I'm funny because then when you say you're funny, you're not funny. Can deal, but Dumb and Dumber is one of those movies that came along in the right time of my life, and I watched it with my best friends growing up. And it's if we I'd ever go on a road trip with my friends, this is the road trip movie we would be in. 
Um, <laughs> because I mean, we grew up again, small town, not a lot. Not, I mean, I would not have known Aspen was in Colorado to save my life had it not been for Dumb and Dumber. So, um, it, it's it's one of those movies I think that's uh, overlooked because it's seen as like a straight face, like a, just a straight comedy, but. When you have you know Jim Carrey, who, who's known for being funny, he actually kind of toned it back a little bit from his Ace Ventura uh, days, and like I think wasn't he on was it, was he on some sort of comedy show before then? Uh, Living Color yes. in Living Color, yes, in Living Color, yeah. It's just toned back, Jim Carrey. He's not quite as wild and like loose as you will. Um, and then we have Jeff Daniels. Uh, I mean, I remember watching him in Speed. Uh, I think I think Speed maybe came afterwards, but I remember him in Speed being like. Being a straight face, you know, police officer, and and we now know him in like more like the newsroom, the TV show, very straight face actor. He does he doesn't do the comedy stuff like this was kind of like a one off kind of thing. Um, and coming back and watching those two kind of together, like just kind of be again, there's a movie in, in place in the wrong place at the wrong time throughout the whole movie, and they're just kind of like, all right, we're we don't know what's going on, we're just gonna kind of go with it, really. I don't know, it just struck me as, like, this is a comedy that's a road trip comedy that works. They're not trying to do slapstick the whole way through, but there are a couple points where, where that does come up. Um, something, like, when I rewatch this movie, I find that little things that were, like, were intentional details that a lot of people may overlook because they're laughing too hard or just not caring. Um, in, in their living room, one of the legs is missing off the couch. And whenever they sit on the couch, you see the couch, like, flip up and down. Like... You know, like you see, like they have a worm apartment in their house, but like their chair is missing a leg, like or they couch missing. Like any other person, like any, I think any other comedy movie would either make a big deal out of it or like just never, not even worry about it. But like it's the little details in their apartment and stuff like that. How the narrative, like it, it just pulls them forward. Like everything has something to do later on. Nothing's on accident. Um, and I don't know. It's just it's a story about two friends going on a road trip across the world, and then kind of not the world, but like the country, and then falling for the same girl. It's like two separate, you know, tropes going on there. So the road trip, and then they both fall for the same girl when they get there, and um, nobody gets her in the end because she was already married. So <laughs> I I don't know. Dumb and Dumber is just one of those movies I I can watch again. I can quote it line for line, and it's one of those things that hit me when I was growing up, and I didn't have a whole lot. But me and my friends liked it, and it just holds a spe- like one of those movies that holds a special place in your heart. But the more I watch it, it's the probably the best Ferrelli Brothers movie that I've seen because I think they try too hard later on. Um, you know, there's something about Mary. I think they they tried a little too hard. Uh, Stuck on You. I think they did that one with with Matt Damon. Um, yes. Dumb and Dumber. Er, I think was the sequel because there's also the. No, Dumb and Dumber Two and Dumb and Dumber. -er. I don't think they had Dumb and Dumber, but like any attempt on this fran this movie to make it into a franchise was horrible mistakes. So I don't I don't think those movies are good, but I I do enjoy this one on on a personal level. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like so I feel like the difference between this film and maybe let let's take for example like there's something about Mary they. In Dumb and Dumber, it's not just that they're dumb people, but they they also like have a, I mean, almost like an adolescent point of view mm -hmm. um, on things. Like they either take things literally, or they it's just a complete lack of understanding. There's there's all I mean, there's moments in the movie that remind me less of like 
someone being really really stupid like in other road trip movies and it reminds me more of like I don't know the movie uh, the movie Big with Tom Hanks like um, just misunderstanding of how the world works um, yeah, they're, uh, they're kind of in their own box and they've never been outside of that box and then they, they accidentally fall into a world where they have to go outside that box and you're right like it, it's kind of like like it's not wonder but like they don't know how things work you're right like oh we're gonna prank this guy with hot pipers on his burger but then not knowing you know he's gonna kill him because he has an ulcer because you know it's just a goof kind of thing right um or i mean the just little things that i mean thinking about that same same scene there's two other things that happen in the same scene that it's just misunderstanding it's not uh or or uh, an adolescent or innocent point of view, like um, to throw some salt over their <laughs> over the shoulder, mm-hmm. or uh, what's what's the soup du jour? Oh um, yeah, you know, like all of those things. Uh, the, there's nothing that's overly I don't know uh, sexualized. There's nothing that's them just being just ridiculously dumb about something. It's just they. Uh, a lack of understanding, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's why I w- I always uh, enjoyed that film as well. And I know you said it was one that you would just watch whenever it's on. Yeah, I, I watched it. I mean, I watched it recently uh, a couple couple nights ago. I don't remember why. I think this has been forever since I did had put it in. And um, but I mean, let me thinking back to like I don't know. They, made, they tried to make a TV show out of this. They had a prequel and a sequel, and I'm like. It's it's a movie that can stand alone as it is, and you don't need to to ever revisit these characters. Like they did their thing, they didn't mean to do all this stuff. They were just like you said, it, it, adolescence, and like none of it is. Again, it's not slapstick. It's not you know me myself and Irene kind of way or shallow howl or like I don't know. They weren't trying to be funny. They just were because of the situations they were in. So anyway, well now that 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 movie, the one that's probably not on any film <laughs> students list ever except mine. Is out right. of the way. What, what what can you throw at me? Um, let's see. Okay, I'll go for my... That's a, a little bit happier of a movie, um, you know, that deals with suicide, of course. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, uh, my next uh, favorite movie is The Apartment from uh, 1960. Okay. Um, I believe it won Best Picture that year. Um with uh, Jack Lemmon, uh, Shirley MacLaine, uh, directed and written by uh, Billy Wilder. Um, I think any listeners that we have will start to get the idea of that I uh, am, I suppose, very loyal to certain writers and directors, and I follow those uh, individuals, especially writers. Um, I am a big fan of Billy Wilder. Um, this, you know, if if pressed, I would probably have to say that the apartment is my favorite film of all time. Um, but you know, it's kind of hard to to uh, pinpoint just one, as as most people that are fans of of um, of movies know. Actually, yeah, I mean, if you have taste in anything, uh, you know, it's hard to pick your favorite of any of one of those things. Anyway, back to the apartment. Um, it it is. Uh, I have a soft spot in my heart, I suppose, for well written um, romantic comedies, and 
This is the romantic comedy where most of the romance takes place between uh, the characters that you don't want it to end up together. Um, there are times in the story that it's uh, depressing. There, there are times that um, you, I mean, in my opinion, it's just the, the perfect romantic comedy. It, uh, it has a great, um, I guess, rapport or um, chemistry between the two main characters, uh, Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine. Um, and the, uh, the circumstances with which they, they find each other um, and are, are able to get close to one another um, are really unique. Um, he is uh, an innocent guy in a world full of um, predators uh, in terms of the, the male ego and, and uh, in terms of big business. Uh, he is just trying to uh, work his way up in, in his company a little bit and he gets in over his head and he starts um, lending his apartment to co-workers uh, in order for them to have uh, have affairs with women, um, and so that's the the basis for the movie, uh, the apartment. And um, yeah, I just the writing and directing of um, Billy Wilder. Um, I know you've seen a, a couple of these movies based on our classes, but uh, like he did uh, uh, Double Indemnity. Mm-hmm. Um, he did um, uh, Sunset Sunset uh, Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard. Yep, yep. And, I, I, that is a good uh, one. Some like some like it hot. Some like it know. hot. I believe he did Ace in the Hole as well. I don't know if he directed yes. it, but I know he wrote it. He, he yeah, I know he wrote it. Um, yeah, yeah. A lot of these, you know, if you're in film school, these are on your list of things you have to watch. Yep. And um, I mean, second, I, I love I love Ace in the Hole, but. Um, yeah, I would say the apartment edges it out. Like I said, I do have a soft spot in my heart for just well-written uh, kind of romantic comedy sort of films. Um, so uh, other movies that were close to my top five that I kind of bundled in with this one were like It Happened One Night, uh, which okay. that was from the 40s, maybe even earlier than that. Um, but I believe it also won Best Picture, and it was... Uh, it was also like a romantic comedy of sorts. And then um, I think, interesting, uh, interestingly enough, but uh, a Pixar film kind of fits in with these sort of movies, in my opinion, and that is WALL-E. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the way that th- they are able to make, I guess, a romantic comedy of sorts where the protagonist doesn't even speak English um, and is able to communicate with his uh, with his girlfriend is is pretty enjoyable um, but yeah I would even I would even put that into that sort of feeling I mean the, the uh, that movie even brings in clips from older movies uh, in order to uh, I don't know kind of bring about those same sort of feelings of uh, older romance or like they have clips from singing in the rain and um uh, i can't remember the name of the other film that they 
keep on going back. But do you remember in Wally when they have like the, the the clips of older movies as he's dreaming about his girlfriend? Yeah. Um. Uh. Honestly, it's been a while since I've seen Wally. <laughs> um. Man. But I I do know what you're talking about. Um. That it does you know refer like you know he he dreams in pop culture pretty much right and and those are the movies that they go back there. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't remember off the top of my head. So, no. so that's that one. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, then, um, I guess I'll go back to my 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 farther film. This is this is a film that actually inspired me to make movies, probably more than anything else. Um, and it's a Clockwork Orange. Um, Stanley Kubrick. I I again, like Patrick, has his um you know biases or not biases, but I guess dedication to certain directors and writers and stuff like that mine mine would be the stanley kubrick films um because nothing in his movies is an accident is how i guess we were we were told and, and kind of what i believe in him like you know everything he does uh was on purpose and for some reason the clockwork orange probably the the most disturbing of his movies for a while um really really resonated with me i i don't know why just the way it's shot the 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 characters like you know it's a bit of the ultra violence is based on a book that's written in kind of almost gibberish if you will uh, <laughs> made a made-up language of sorts um and you know it get it's, it's a very controversial film a lot of people um they begin this movie alone it when, when it was released kubrick pulled it from circulation in the uk following this media frenzy about the movie um so yeah i just i i really like a clockwork orange it's 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 got a message about you know you know i guess how violence affects you how like you know is the the medium i'm sorry i just hit my microphone there the medium um that, that which we're exposed to do they promote that or not uh, to me, I think um, I mean even a clockwork orange is very very overly sexualized uh film it, i guess it's it's disturbing, and it's, it's supposed to, you know, again, we talked about this earlier, elicit an emotion from you. And that emotion, you know, to me is, you know, like, a little shock, a little awe, but, like, also at the same time, like, I get it. Like, I get I get what this movie is trying to do. And a lot of people, I think it's an honest movie, and a lot of people don't like that, and it doesn't sit well with them, and that's why they don't like it or don't like to watch it very often. Uh, some of the things I really enjoy this movie is the the classical music in the movie, juxtaposed with like the chaos. Uh, one of the examples is whenever you know um, the main character Alex Delarge and his droogs, if you will, get into this big fight. It's kind of almost like the the um, um, war- the warriors. Like there's just this big fight in the middle of this like very like one or two lights in this big open arena of like debris. And they get in this fight, but the whole time it's you know there's slow motion scenes, there's regular scenes, but it's played over a lot of you know classical music, like which is very, I guess, organized and very you know purposeful. So the way Kubrick built this film based around you know regular music and then um, you know classical music. I mean, Singing in the Rain is this, Singing in the Rain is one of the movies that I didn't get to put on my list because I had to choose five. But I love musicals and Singing in the Rain's that, and I just. I, the thing with Clockwork Orange, if I could get anyone to watch it and you know and sit through the you know the, the over two hours, is just you know um, seeing that you know 
this whole journey of, of Alex from, you know, the violence to the prison to the experimental psychological test um, and being, quote unquote, cured, but then not cured. Like, I don't know. It's just this movie to me is is a beautiful film that plays with cinema in ways that a lot of other movies didn't do. And it's that juxtaposition of, you know, chaos on the screen and very organized, very classical, clean music. And, and that just inspired me to kind of be a filmmaker and do everything purposefully in, in movies, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, man. Um, I, what I remember most about Clockwork Orange um, when, when we watched it, or I think the first time I saw it was actually for, for a class. And um, what I remember most was just how um, how surprising uh, the third act was to me. Like that was not something where I saw this the story going of him being arrested. You know, I thought like the story after him being arrested would would be either one of straight uh, rehabilitation mm-hmm. or one of he gets back out and you know, finds his droogs again and, you know, they just go crazy and it's just an endless Relapse. cycle. Yeah, it's yeah. just an endless cycle until his his demise, essentially. Um, that, that third act was not something that I expected at all. Um, and uh, another thing that struck me about the film is just uh, his general... Uh, lack of empathy uh, f- for any anyone, uh, including his friends, um, and then also, but at the same time, his outward politeness, like consistent outward politeness, um, was really strange and and almost off-putting. Um, but he was still a, really a sympathetic character at the same time. It was. Um, I think I think it helped the, the fact that uh, uh, that he kind of has a a baby face, uh, Malcolm McDowell, uh, mm-hmm. and um, but at the same time, yeah, he he is still an intimidating character. Um, he he's got that crazy look, like it's like the, there's this crazy look in his eyes. You don't know what he's thinking, but he doesn't look like he's like. The rest of them doesn't look like it's 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 a bad thing, right? And and the fact that his favorite you know artist is Beethoven, you know, it, it's there's a lot of juxtapositions within and of the character of itself. Like yes, he's violent and he's he's got rapey tendencies and a murderer uh, by a certain point, but at the same time he's like he's still got some sort of weird class about him. I don't know. Kind I, of I get random, what you're saying. Kind of a random question. Um, have you ever seen? Uh the professional uh leon the professional yes Yes. i have so do you remember gary oldman's character in that movie uh yes the um the the leader i guess the drug leader yeah kind of thing yeah the uh he was the the head of the like not a dea agency but whatever yeah some sort of policing force for drugs anyway um i wonder if that was sort of a, an homage to Clockwork Orange in any way because he used to love to pop drugs and listen to Beethoven before going into crime scenes or before, you know, firing his shotgun into apartments full of 
um, people that he wanted to, to kill or arrest. I wonder if that was anyway a callback to Clockwork Orange. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, yeah, you just mis- mentioned Beethoven. That's the first yeah, thing I thought it, of. Yeah, I mean, that's the... I guess that's the the music in there that you know it's his favorite artist and they play all the stuff the, the behavioralism in this is is interesting because you're trying to condition him to hate violence and nudity and and just make him a, a nice complacent little like little drone but they did it I guess to the 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 most psychopathic person they could find so um, yeah so Clockwork Orange is, is definitely again one of my movies it's always on my top shelf I don't my wife hasn't watched it yet. I don't know when we'll get around to that because it's not gonna. It's not. It's not an easy watch. That's not something you put down after no. a day of work to relax. <laughs> so that's a uh, yeah. That's that. So next, Patrick, one cool. to four. Yep. Excited. Um, both of my final two movies are um, are foreign films. Okay. Um, and starting with uh, two, 2003's uh, Old Boy. Okay. Have you seen Old Boy? I have seen the original Old Boy, not the okay. remake. Uh, the remake does not exist. We don't talk oh, about that. Oh, of course. Either. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I also haven't seen it. Um, I shouldn't judge, but it was it was a film that the remake was only for people that refused to read subtitles because Old Boy is just about a perfect movie for me. So I don't I don't know why you would try to remake something like that. Um, Anyways, uh, written and directed by uh, Chanwook Park, um, and some of his other films are also uh, really interesting. None, none that quite has the the solid plot of uh, Old Boy, uh, but he did a it's like a, a pseudo trilogy. Uh, Lady Vengeance and Sympathy for Mister Vengeance are the other two films in in this uh, trilogy. Uh, I'm not even sure. I think he referred to it as a trilogy one time in an interview or whatever, but it's like the plots are not directly connected, so I'm not certain how he defines it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the only reason I bring those movies up is uh, all of them have just fantastic uh, visuals and cinematography. That's that's one thing that I, I feel like if we did a study of, you know, we talked about earlier before the podcast, we talked about uh, you'd you seeing if you could study um, older films compared to today's films. Well, if we did a study of foreign films compared to, um, you know, movies made in the United States or by um, American-born directors, I really feel like um, overall uh, you would find that uh, the cinematography is just a a step above from a lot of these uh, foreign uh, uh, directors. Um, uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and uh, uh, especially Old Boy just have incredible visuals. Um, This, in a way, uh, Old Boy was also uh, just a a time for me that I really liked a movie with a a twist ending. um, An especially unique ending. uh, Something so uh, the plot for Old Boy was, I thought, unique throughout, and then um, the the ending was definitely not something that that I saw coming. It's a it's a long term tale of vengeance, um, and uh, I I just 
I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it for um, the uniqueness of the story and uh, how they managed to weave in some like s- silent visual comedy uh, throughout the film. Um, that that was just mm-hmm. really really unique. And then, <laughs> so the movie at the end also almost makes you feel guilty for enjoying the rest of the film, because as you're watching the rest of the film, you are um, kind of enjoying the following a uh, you know, a, a sweet love story between this man and the woman. And um, then by the the end of the movie, when he is able to uh, to exact his revenge for the the fifteen years of being kept in a jail, essentially, um, you you find out that <laughs> that the romance that you had been enjoying throughout the rest of the film was uh, was tainted. Uh, that you that you shouldn't have been enjoying it uh, as much as you were because there was just something wrong about it. So um, I guess that was another. It's a it's a way of doing a twist that I haven't seen in in other films. I would say. Anyway, that's yeah, that's another movie you don't put on after coming home from work to try to unwind, because you, you, at the end of that one you're like, oh, oh, there's there's a lot going on here. There's a yes. lot of revenge happening at once. But I do remember that movie. I saw the scene, two scenes in this movie before I actually got to watch the movie. One is the hallway fight scene um, when he comes out of the elevator. He has like a wrench, I think. Uh, he has a hammer. A hammer, and he fights a whole scene of guys in one take, uh, trying to get to an elevator. And I, I know that's very, that's like heralded as that like one of the best like, long takes that you could have seen in a long time. I guess I, I remember watching that you know in I think it was intro to film class actually one of the first ones I ever had and uh, talking about how that one was made and, and how that is not a very easy task to do, if you will. Um, but definitely, it definitely played out really well. And the second one was when he actually ate the, I think he ate like a squid yes. live in, in the restaurant. So, yes. um, those, those were the two, my, t- my introduction to that movie before I actually got to watch the movie. And I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen in this. <laughs> like, this is not, um, you know, a standard run of the mill film. So, I yeah, don't know. uh, that, that's another good point of something that I didn't really bring up when I was talking about why I enjoyed the movie so much. Uh, the... Um, you know, like I said, there were lots of scenes of um, casual romance with he and his his girlfriend, but uh, simultaneously, there is extreme violence in this movie, mm-hmm. um, and violence that the movie does not uh, shy away from, uh, and it's it's not um, you know it's not like the the slow sort of violence that um, that is prevalent in like a, a lot of just gore films or whatever but it's 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 violence that is uh is front and center and it yeah it's it's really uh yeah it's really an interesting yeah. balance that the film strikes there it is i, I agree yep uh i'm gonna take one uh, on a little different note here is the movie kiss kiss bang bang uh, <laughs> 2005 all right uh i you laugh at me, Patrick. Why do you, why do you laugh at my choice? I, I, I wasn't laughing at your choice. I the, immediately several things came to mind. One, that's a, <laughs> that's a director that was that has since been pegged to do 
uh, Marvel movies. Oh. So I, I feel I just I I thought that was kind of funny. Um, two, it uh, it's a hysterical movie. Um, mm-hmm. So and one that took me by surprise when I first saw it. And uh, three, I I was actually I'm, this was not had nothing to do with me laughing, but I'm curious if you had seen. Um, Black's um, more recent movie with Ryan Gosling. I have not seen The Nice Guys yet. No. Okay. It is on my to-do list, though. Um, as soon as I can get a thing for it, though. However, you're right. This is written and directed by Shane Black, um, who actually got his start doing the Lethal Weapon movies. Um, he, he, wrote the, he wrote Lethal Weapon and Lethal Weapon 2, and that's kind of his background in the 80s. Um, he also wrote Last Action Hero with Arnold Schwarzenegger in the in the 90s um but kiss kiss bang bang is an era of and i actually liked this movie before robert downey jr became iron man um and because you know robert downey jr i remember him from um younger ages remember we watched the film a movie in bad films called pound where his his father was a director and they were all humans but like representing the dogs in there yes and and robert downey jr was a little kid in that movie oh was he yeah, he was a little kid. That says, I think he says you smell like piss or something like that. Um, really entertaining. And then he was in um, Natural Born Killers. I also enjoyed that movie. Another not subtle, violent film. It's not for the... It's not a normal movie, movie either. But, you know, through his you know drug use years up and down. I mean, he was good in Chaplin as well. But, like, this is the rejuvenation of Robert Downey Jr. Taking a, a risk on him uh, in this, if you will. But uh, it's a movie about um, a crook uh, is... is He's a thief and he's robbing, you know, stuff. And he gets away and he's running away and he, he gets pretending he accidentally becomes an actor. Like, how does a thief accidentally become an actor? I don't know. But um, he starts following along uh, Val Kilmer, uh, a I guess a detective, a, a private eye, if you will, as like a method acting um, kind of thing. So uh, it's just how he accidentally. Again, my, my movies are all like accidents. Is what it sounds like. He accidentally becomes an wrapped in this you know mystery of like this like murder and intrigue in la abduction and stuff like that and he's he right he doesn't know what he's doing but he is funny like he's funny but there's like some serious moments in this you know when when people you know are, are killed in front of him and he's hiding under the bed and, and so on and so forth um yeah this movie is one that just kind of blows me away again and how funny it is but it's a, it's a dark comedy and i think that's a little bit where i lean more when i like when I think of like other comedies I enjoy, I like the darker comedies, um, and the way Kiss Kiss Bang Bang plays out, it just um, you know you think everything's going right for him, but it just doesn't, and um, it just he keeps pretending to be something he's not the whole way through until you know he becomes you know a detective in the end accidentally. So uh, yeah, I. I don't know what else to say. You caught me off guard there with the laugh and the kiss, kiss, bang, bang. So I kind of lost what I was gonna say. But, I'm sorry, um, man. No, it's it's fine. It's not your fault. I mean, it's it's just it's a clever movie to me. I think I think it's clever the way it's, it plays out and it's got that you know uh, Shane Black you know narrative like the the kind of like a noir I guess where Robert Downey Jr. is talking over the movie at the beginning and the way he's trying to tell a story and he's like oh never mind I messed up the story and it just keeps going. It's like he's he plays a he plays a, a human I think I don't know I, um, I like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang it's one of those I can put on and, and laugh and, and it's not a com- it's not a straight comedy that's the thing like I, it's it's funny but it's not like 
you're gonna bust your gut laughing the whole way through. Yeah, I, I think if there's one common thread between um, all the films that we've we've mentioned today, it's uh, it's that a lot of them don't um, easily fit into a defined genre, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, you, you might have trouble uh, kind of perfectly settling on a, a, a film style. Uh, that that all of these uh, or not not all of them but each one individually um, fits perfectly so that that's 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 one thing that um, I think you and I definitely have in common like uh, my movies have been mix of comedy and drama or you know and yours are action and comedy or film noir comedy mm-hmm. or black comedy um, yeah so. Uh, All right, late, late, you had six written down on your top five movies. I did. Now I need to know what the, you chose as your fifth one because okay, this my is... fifth one is City of God. Okay, um, and that is from two thousand three. Um, won Best Foreign Picture. Um, it takes place in Brazil, I believe. Yes, it is. Um, and so it is in Portuguese. And um, this movie, I, I want to say it's one of the first foreign films that I watched, um, which is kind of embarrassing because it's not that old. It's only 13 years old, but it started, um, you know, me on a tear of watching foreign films. Um, early in my career, I think before I was even a film major, uh, in school, I took a um, foreign language uh, credit in Portuguese film, and okay. this was one of the films that we watched. And I, I, uh, I had never seen it before, and it it blew me away. It is a um, it is a Brazilian version of I would say I would say it has a lot in common with. Uh, Films like uh, Goodfellas, or um, um, yeah, I don't know. Goodfellas, I, I think it draws a lot of parallels to um, gangster films of uh, um, of that sort of genre, I guess, but with uh, incredible um, uh, cinematography. Uh, they have uh, like shots. Uh, there's one particular shot where you you think a, a character is is shooting at another character and he's actually uh, firing and he hits a rearview mirror of a car. Um, there's uh, like spinning camera shots. They use um, great um, like color changes in colors from um, I don't know soccer fields to the slums to um, I don't know just an incredible uh incredible visual style um and the film surrounds a um a young man that wants to uh basically wants to be a um a a film uh basically wants to be involved in film but he he gets a camera from a, a local news organization that's trying to find out information about about the slums and about the gang war uh gang wars and uh, he gets a job taking pictures for them. 
And the gang members think it's really cool because they get to be immortalized uh, in pictures uh, in all these newspapers. And the the people that uh, pay him for the uh, pay him for the pictures think it's great because they get access that they couldn't get anywhere else. So he is basically an outsider, um, but gets to be in. Um, uh, gets to be involved in the gang war without being directly involved in the gang war. And you learn about um, relationships between these two gangs and the, the the rivals and its children killing other children. And they're just truly evil and grim and violent people in this world. Um, so, But all of these characters that are at the same time evil are so I don't know charismatic that you uh, I don't you forget that they are that the, the, the movie is actually um, controlled by death and destruction and I mean in in the end there are no real winners but uh, it, it is a, it's a movie that really sticks with you okay yeah I mean I've, I have not seen that um but it's on my list. It reminds me of something. I, I took a, a class called, um, I guess it was Mafia Film. And it, it, it sounds a lot like the Mafia Film. Like, okay. stuff, like, out of Italy, like, there's, like, you know, some outsider gets into the gang. And, like, they're leaking information out. But kind of kind of deal. I don't know. I like it. It sounds great. It sounds good. You should check it out. I will. So don't go into detail. But what was this, what was the sixth one? I want to know what your sixth one was. I just want to put uh, the sixth one was the Prestige. Oh okay. All right. Uh, we had to watch that a lot in film classes. I don't know. If... Uh, yeah, I saw it in two different film classes. I I, I remember it was like three or four. Like he loved the Prestige. Yes. Loved loved the Prestige. Yes. Good old Lance. Good old Lance. I actually talked to him recently. I'm Did you really? Sending, I sent him sending him a movie for his class. He couldn't find anywhere else. So. Um, my, I actually have six movies on my list as well, and I've chosen my fifth one as the movie Seven from 1995. All right. Um, David Fincher does good stuff. I don't like everything David Fincher does, but the the bleakness, the lighting, the color, the how everything, the cinematography, the story of Seven just drew me in from the get go. And I think this goes back to you know some of my movies are darker movies uh, that I enjoy, and Seven just kind of hooked me. Um, at the beginning, you know, it just jumps in. There's been a murder. Brad Pitt is showing up for the first time at the crime scene to go work with an older detective, Morgan Freeman. He has a buddy cop kind of thing, but it's not really buddy cop as in a normal film. Not like, you know, um, Lethal Weapon like we talked about earlier. Uh, so there's a guy, you know, committing these murders based on the seven deadly sins. And these two detectives are kind of hooked on this case. It's the last case for Morgan Freeman's character, of course. And, like, one of the first ones for Brad Pitt's character, like, in this new city. And it's just dark. Like, I like the use of light and dark in this one. Like, it's the dark shows, um, like, how dark, you know, maybe, like, the human psyche can be in this movie. With, um, I, I believe it was definitely, I can't think of the character, uh, play who plays the, the killer. Um, John Doe. John Doe, right? But what's his the actor's name? <laughs> Kevin he, Spacey. He, Kevin Spacey. He just did a cat movie, is what I was thinking of. I'm like, I can't I just, get the cat. I just preferred to call him John Doe, just to make you uh, f- more frustrated. No, oh, you are, you are, you are nailing it. 
So, um, I mean, this movie, I mean, a lot of people remember this movie for the end scene with the what's in the box kind of thing. Um, but the rest of the movie, it's, it's very dark and, and I keep saying that, but like, it's, it, the, it plays on the trope of the old cop retiring, the new cop coming on kind of thing and follows, you know, the story of this new young couple trying to start a life and the, him kind of being sucked into work, uh, and so much that the work actually comes back to him. Um, and the, this killer, John Doe, Kevin Spacey, if you will, is, is killing all these people. Not all these people. One based on every reason. And, and, you know, we have, like, I think the first one, I, what was the first one? Wasn't Gluttony, was it? Yes. Uh, okay, well, the first one was Gluttony? Okay. Yes. Um, and then, you know, Sloth, Lust, Greed. Um, and by the time they actually catch John Doe, you think the movie's over. Like, you think they caught him, great. It, but it's not that's where the movie takes the the surprise and and gives you you know your what's in the box scene and what I like about that one that was actually like out the only scene I think that's like during the day and like where it's very well lit out in this field and um I don't know it's just it's that the way the way David Fincher makes this movie look and how he plays with the story and makes you keep guessing and you don't know what's gonna happen next and it can get pretty pretty disturbing and, and kind of gross at some points uh, I, I really I really enjoy this movie and, and the story it, it kind of takes throughout the whole thing so cool man yeah I really enjoyed it um, I thought uh, so you said you didn't like all of Fincher's films I, I'm curious what movie you were thinking of when you said that I, I, I don't dig on the social network as much okay. um, that one's just kind of long and it's long for, for no real reason in my, in my book um kind of like that i know um i was kind of taking a look at alien 3 of course I, I think he directed that didn't he yes he did uh but apparently they're pretty extreme extenuating circumstances behind, yeah behind that one um, uh I, I i i do enjoy the girl with the dragon tattoo but um the curious case of benjamin button again is one that's kind of long for me so okay i'm just curious yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed Seven quite a bit um, as well. It's, uh, yeah, it's it was definitely it's a definitely uh, iconic role for all the people involved, except perhaps for Kevin Spacey, just because he had such little screen time, which is mm-hmm. really interesting um, for a, a star that big to have a I role feel- that big, and he was only I- on screen for about twenty minutes. I feel like kind of got him his role in the usual suspects, though. Um, I, I see some parallels there. Sure. Uh, but um, yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Like you don't really remember he's in it until you until you watch it again. So, but my sixth one was probably the most generic answer ever. Uh, was Pulp Fiction. Um, <laughs> okay. So, I, I really love Pulp Fiction. It's one of those movies from the '90s. I, I gotta watch. Um, even though it was R-rated, my my mom and dad still let me watch it. They didn't have very big stringencies on like you can't watch this movie because of the rating kind of deal uh and i just i just like pulp fiction so uh yeah so those are our our top five movies i guess those are our six if you will i guess we're we're a little overzealous we cheated we did it's a little easier i think to find movies i enjoy greatly than movies i don't enjoy greatly yeah same here Um, i struggled with my bottom list the bottom list i don't know i don't have i don't i have five but 
two of them are, are definitely in, in my bias range here. Um, but yeah, so I'll just go ahead. I'm, I'm gonna we're just gonna list them off. We've, we've been talking for a while, and it's I don't know. We'll just go over these a little bit because we want to talk about afterwards our biases and our prejudices towards movies, and that might help explain these as well. Um, so for me, I'm gonna. I know Patrick's got a shorter list, so I'm gonna start. I don't like Titanic, Patrick. Right. I really don't like watching Titanic. <laughs> I don't blame you. Uh, it's it's uh, people loved it at the time. It's one of the you know the, I think it's made the most money ever when you adjust it for inflation. Um, Avatar might have beaten it, which is actually on my list as well. Av- Titanic and Avatar are right. both on my list. Big uh, James Cameron fan, huh? I, I like some of his stuff, but like the way he tells those two stories, they're just so drawn out. Like there's a drag on, and like when I went to Avatar, I had to go to the bathroom twice during the movie because. If I go to the bathroom during a movie, I don't care for it. That's how you can tell. I went twice <laughs> during Avatar. And I'm like, yeah, this is great, you know, for, like, cinema, like, new technology. Awesome. But, like, it just didn't blow me away. So, yeah, th- there's two of mine. What about what about one of yours, Patrick? Um, so, I would say, one, I went into it with no expectations, and I was not even familiar with the story, and it was still one of the worst movies I've ever seen, and that was The Last Airbender. Oh, so you like you hate the other Avatar movie? That's <laughs> okay, yeah, great. Yeah. Um, the cinematography just made no sense at all. Like, I I felt like it was a, a film school project gone wrong. Um, the oh, there's so many things. I don't really want to get into it too much. Yeah, it, right. it just didn't. It, it the whole story just did not make sense, and I. I felt bad for the people that were big fans of the franchise um, when I left that theater. I, I I could not believe what I just so, watched. So so you you haven't watched the show? I have not. You watched I've the never show? seen the okay. show. No, I I'm not either. So I actually saw that. I just I had nothing going in, so I had nothing going out. So I, I feel for you there. Um, yeah, I I agree. Um, another movie I don't enjoy is Juno. Do you like Juno? Um, I do, but like I said, there's a soft spot in my heart for um, cleverly written romantic comedy sort of films. Um, Juno was, I saw it in theaters. I had no idea going in. I, I went with people I was invited, and it's the only movie I've ever wanted to stand up and like, what the fuck did I just watch like, at the end? Like, <laughs> what was this? Like, I get pop culture references. I love pop culture, but I feel like that was smashing me in the head with pop culture references. It was taking the hamburger phone and just hit me in the face. Every time they, they tried to be, I think it was overly clever, and that kind of really hurt the story. I can uh, see that to me. I can yeah, see that. so that was Juno and me don't get along. That's that's a fact. Okay. So, all right. Um, I I also have on my least enjoyed would be uh, Attack of the Clones. Okay. Um, I felt like more so than the Phantom Menace. More so than the Phantom Menace. Okay. I, I felt like. In, in Attack of the Clones, the the main characters and I mean you're gonna see you're seeing my biases come out again, um, as as far as uh, romance and movies, they had zero chemistry. I don't know if it was um, because they weren't that good of actors, because of George Lucas's writing, because they weren't used to green screen sort of acting, but Natalie Portman and um, Hayden Christensen. Uh, Hayden Christensen had no chemistry whatsoever, and they they spent entirely too much time uh, trying to emphasize the romance 
of a film that that they did not know how to write, direct, or act romance. Mm -hmm. And um, so those were some of the longest scenes that I think I've ever sat through in a theater. I'm just like, get on with it already. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, it was... They're, they're still cringeworthy going back. Like, you, yes. you can't... There's nothing makes those better. Uh, well, and I'm a big Star Wars fan. That's... I, I mean, I, I, sci-fi, you know, Star Wars is my thing. And um, every time that they're in a scene together, one of them's on a couch or one of them's at a window. <laughs> if you if you look like George Lucas, like the best Star Wars movie it, to me is Empire Strikes Back, and it's because George Lucas had no direction involved in that movie. Like he was just there yep. like, with the story. So I agree with that. Yeah, he can't. He couldn't get. Oh man, yeah, I'm I'm having I'm having an attack here of the clones, if you will. So <laughs> um, flashback attack of the clones. A little bit, yeah. So that brings me to my last two. These, I want to tie these two together because they're both within a year of each other, and they're both superhero movies, Patrick. I didn't put any on my top five, but oh I put boy. them on my bottom five. Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. I I would I would take a kick to the crotch than watch that movie again. And I've watched both the theater version and the three-hour cut version. Uh, it's just some of the most poorly edited, very... Like the narrative in that is is very all over the place as well. How you get from one scene to the next makes no sense. It's just there to set up comic book pieces that people have seen in comic books. I'm like, we want to see that on the movie theater. Let's do that. And the the whole narrative of that film does not hold up to me. Um, on the flip note, uh, a movie that you know I think tried a little harder is Fantastic Four from last year. And uh, that movie had a very good introduction at trying to update the characters and make them cool and stuff. But anytime that, you know, these superheroes that we've known for years get their powers because they were drunk and decided to use a teleporter, you really turned me off. And another, I think another sign of a bad film is when you have to have a time jump in the middle of the movie. And that one's like one year later, right in the middle of the movie. I'm like, all right, I'm out like this. I'm done. I can't. I can't even do this. So, um, I, I yeah. love how um, uh, I, I love how finicky. Um, and I'm not. I'm not doing this to pick on you. I, I I'm <laughs> actually being serious. I love how finicky uh, people's tastes of art can be. Like purely, uh, purely based on um, the the small. Maybe not the smallest thing, but like a a somewhat inconsequential piece to the plot can totally ruin an experience of a film um and it it's it really uh shows just how much uh you know i guess how much uh, uh or how subjective uh films are um mm -hmm. and and that uh the you know, a time jump is. I, I well, I agree with you. It, it can be uh, definitely show a weakness in a movie, um, uh, or like a plot piece, like a plot piece that makes no sense. Like, oh, we are going to get our powers based on being drunk one night, um, that sort of thing. Um, how much that can have an effect on how you view a film. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not only that, like what that just is those two things happen at the same time. And the turning point in the movies there, because you just have a villain who just appears out of nowhere a year later and has this, these magical abilities that can somehow just do things and they don't have to explain it or anything. And it's just, 
I don't know. It's just to set up more another action set piece at the end. And that movie was plagued by production problems all around. Half the stuff you see in the promotional materials and trailers didn't make it to the final movie. Um, and even the director kind of went AWOL and kind of crazy. And um, I think we won't see Josh Trank for a little while. So, yeah, that's that's my list. Forgive there. my ignorance uh, here. Uh, Fantastic Four is whose property? Uh, Fox. Okay. Fox owns Fantastic Four. As of right now, yes. Um, it, this might this might be a good time to kind of talk about our biases and, and prejudices. I come from a background of really liking superhero movies and comic book movies um, because I read comic books. It's, it's what I do. Like I, I um, I'm uh, right now sitting here at this table. I have Marvel hero coasters and Doctor Strange pop vinyls all over me. And like, we are going to manage to keep each other balanced because that is one of my biases as well, only in the opposite direction. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I I don't think I don't think comic book movies or superhero movies are the best movies in the world. I I enjoy them, but I don't. I, again, it's not my top five movies. I, I can't I can't go out and say like I think the best one to me has been um, this year's Civil War movie. But wait, so you're, you're saying that you're biased against superhero movies? No, no, I'm not. I'm just saying I I like them, but I'm not saying like I, I like I will watch the superhero movie before I go out and watch. Maybe City of God. Okay, that is what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not seeking foreign films. I'm seeking those for for my consumption. Okay, so um, it might not be a bias though. When once you view them, because you're able to uh, still still judge them based on you know whether or not you think they're a good film. I really hope so. I I really hope so. And I, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna have you keep me in check on that. Okay. So um, that as well. I also I, I watch a lot of blockbusters. Um, I think I'm I I don't know I don't know if it's a bias or a prejudice I think the movies I consume are a little different than yours I don't think sure. you go out and watch as many of the tentpole features that I do and uh, so. on that note I I feel like that's a good w- uh, way to bring in one of my other prejudices I um I enjoy movies that feel more like art than like a product um or that I get that feeling about so. That, that's a good way to compare what you would call a, a blockbuster compared to mm. you know something that you would see at that Carmel cinema that you were yeah, talking the, about. Yeah, an, an indie film, if you will. Right, and I, and I give them the benefit of the doubt if I don't understand a choice that it makes. So, like, if, if there's something that occurs in the film and I'm like, I don't know exactly what the director, the writer, the cinematographer was thinking when, when they did that, made that choice... But I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, and it won't ruin the movie experience for me. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's something I'm prejudiced in favor of. Um, so I can tend to overlook, um, you know, even what most might consider errors or, or issues with an art house film. Um, I will overlook it. So um, yeah, okay. it's kind of the opposite of of you in that way, I, I suppose. But I do yeah. I do seek out those films. I would say, yeah, yeah, and that's that's something you know. It's I don't know. I, I guess I still I work in movies. I, I edit stuff all day, and so I, I try to look for I don't know. I guess more escapism than art right now. Sure. But I mean, I'm not I'm not opposed to it. Like again, I'm not opposed to, to watching those movies. So I, I look forward to seeing what that is. Um, something you talked about earlier is, is movies you enjoy elicit emotions. Um, before we start recording, um, like you, you look for ones that you know 
you have a stronger connection to than ones that are just kind of like we made a movie to make a movie kind of deal right so um i don't know if that's going to be something we look for or work against because i agree with it like i think that's something we agree with we we don't want a movie that just does nothing like you don't feel the same as as when you went in you don't want to feel the same as when you went in right so and um i feel i feel like that express uh you find that a lot in in movies that you're like wow that was a good movie and i never want to see it again (laughs) um and I've had those experiences uh, several times in theaters. Uh, I felt that after I saw uh, 12 Years a Slave. Um, I, I thought it was a good movie, and I don't have a desire to ever watch it again. Um, and so kind of the opposite of that uh, as far as um, movies that I feel like change me or um, you know really draw me in, um, what I would call uh, like stoner comedies... I am very, okay. very biased against those, <laughs> I would say. Um, like, uh, So, like, uh, Grandma's Boy or Pineapple Express. Oh, so, or... so what's really funny is I have a, a, a shelf of movies that I really, like, enjoy. Mm-hmm. It's my top shelf of movies. Grandma's Boy's on that list. <laughs> or in that shelf. <laughs> All right. And it, it's not because I enjoy stoner comedies. I just... It's one of those movies you watch at the right time in your life, and... I totally get that people will have different movies that they enjoy because it's they just watch it at the right time in their life. So, and that was this one of them. I just find that really funny. But I don't, I don't, I don't own Pineapple Express or you know, um, at, at World or not, not at World's this is End. The end. This is the end. Yeah, at World's End is the pirates. Um, no, well that too. I was thinking of the 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 Simon Pegg movie. Oh, um, okay. Oh, uh, so. I don't know. Uh, we we definitely have we definitely know our weaknesses and our strengths probably <laughs> as we we go through and talk about movies. So um, if you guys you know see us leaning one way or the other, call us out on it. Sure. Like let um, us know. We're, we're open. I, I like criticism. I, I I'm not. I don't get a quote unquote butt hurt over it. So salty. Um, yeah, I don't get salty. Over it. Like I want to know. <laughs> like I want to be a better person. Like. The, the thing that I hate the most whenever I read movie reviews or people who review, or re, who review anything is you never see below a five on a ten scale. Like, people are very overly generous when they review things. And anytime I see any review, like, on a one to ten scale, I automatically cut it in half. And that's what a scale on a one to ten really is to me. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I feel like people are very over generous on on what they actually, like, how they review things. So I don't know. I could see that. Maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm being mean, but like, a, a five is a movie that should like is competent. That's a C. Like it's a competent film. Like yes, you did it. Good job. But like if you met, made some mistakes, I'm gonna dock points. If you did good things, I'm gonna give you more points. I don't know. That's just me talking. That's that's one of the things I always tell people. I'm like I I don't think ratings or reviews are very honest anymore. Like they're just like good job participation. Yeah, I mean it. Especially user reviews, I I, I enjoyed uh, seeing not only the backlash of of some of these blockbuster movies, but also some of the um, I, I guess video games are very guilty of it too. Uh, fans of a certain franchise flooding forums or flooding you know Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb or uh, Metacritic with with their reviews before the movie or game or whatever has even come out before people have experienced it fully um and yeah i I, obviously that is not that's not the way to to go about uh understanding 
um, understanding the medium or understanding, you know, what went right, what went wrong with uh, with a lot of these films or franchises. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's I think that's good. So, I think I want to end on something. Uh, you, I guess, this is a good place to talk about movies we've seen recently or gonna see coming up. Sure. I mean, you you talked a little bit about uh, Hell or High Water. Yeah, I went and saw that yesterday. Um, I I enjoyed it. Uh, I would let's see. Uh, in order to give it the proper <laughs> review for uh, an oatmeal one to ten scale, I would give it a I don't know six and a half, seven out of ten. Uh, the it was a very very patient film. Um, it had uh, a number of characters. Uh, it, it did a good job of. It had a number of characters. That's not what I meant to say. It it had. Um, good uh, character portrayal on on both what you would consider the quote-unquote good side and bad side of the law um and it it did a good job of i guess showing instead of telling the history or the experiences of of these of these characters you you knew a lot about their past um and because of it you knew um some of their emotions going into the happenings in the film. Um, it is about uh, Chris Pro- Chris Pine and his brother are uh, bank robbers, and Jeff Bridges and his partner are uh, rangers that are attempting to stop them. And I don't, I don't want to give away too much more other than that, but it, it was very... I enjoy how patient uh, the movie was as it unfolds. Um... And it had a uh, very interesting, um, very interesting ending as far as uh, I guess user or viewer satisfaction. I could see it being um, somewhat, I mean, not controversial, but uh, somewhat dissatisfying for some viewers. Um, but I thought it rounded out the plot pretty well. Um, you you enjoyed seeing these characters and how how they uh, uh, interacted with their partners or with uh, the people around them. Um, the writing was was really well done. Um, it, it was it was interesting mm-hmm. how they showed the rapport between Chris, Chris Pine and his brother, and also between Jeff Bridges and his partner, um, and. Uh, the way they jabbed at each other, but at the end, uh, the end of the day, understood each other and uh, related to one another. And um, yeah, I, I, uh, I look forward to watching uh, more movies that um, that this director directs or or that are written by. Let's see, Taylor Sheridan did the screenplay. Um, he also did- wrote Sicario and wrote some uh, yeah. episodes of Sons of Anarchy. Awesome. All right. So it sounds like yeah, it's one the this is a, a Patrick approved movie. So. Sure, sure. You could. Uh, I saw the poster and I kept thinking that Jeff Bridges was his brother, Bo Bridges, because he looks a lot like him in this one. I don't know why, but that's that's my fun fact for this movie. Uh, this week I watched uh, the original Willy Wonka in the Charlie Factory. Oh boy. Um, in, in honor of uh, uh, Gene Wilder's passing, 
Um, I, I like that movie. That's, a, that's I'm I'm a I'm a sucker for musicals, old musicals, um, and you know I consider that a musical, wouldn't you? There's, there's a lot of songs throughout. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's a stretch, but yeah, sure, we'll go with it. Yeah, why not? I, I don't know. It's it's uh, I didn't appreciate Gene Wilder's like quirkiness until recently in that movie. Like he's he's a genius, but he's not like a normal person. Like he's always spouting off quotes. Or lines from something else, and I'm like, people like that today would probably be treated, you know, the same way. They're either a genius or really weird, and he he, he was he was kind of treated like that throughout. But that's that's what I watched recently. But I don't have anything coming up that I want to see, so I might um, delve into your list, your big five oh, please slash do. six. I've actually seen Old Boy and the Prestige recently, so I, I don't feel too bad about not watching those. So I'm gonna get in on Patrick's list here. <laughs> Right. Well, yeah, I know, right? So that's the uh, inaugural Filmside Chats podcast with Chris and Patrick. Uh, if people want to, you know, find more about what you're doing and, and movies you're watching, where can they do that at, Patrick? Oh, boy. I'm going to have to start being more active on Twitter, apparently. Um, <laughs> you can follow me at uh, P-A-T-T-Y-P-0-O, so Patty Poo, essentially, um, on Twitter. Um, I don't tweet very much but i'll probably probably start doing more of that with uh with our film reviews here and okay. uh then if they want to catch up on your other podcasts or uh get filled in on the latest superhero news <laughs> or your film reviews where can they follow yeah. you so you can find me on twitter at valdan v-a-l-d-a-n or uh on superhero slate.com where we run a superhero movie slash tv news podcast uh, with uh my friend mike and uh, this, the, the, we do reviews. We have things called spoiler casts on there. So if you're interested in superhero stuff, uh, you can definitely hear us rant in good or bad fashion about those movies over there. So. You, get, you get Mike revved up a lot about, uh, about uh, uh, DC movies, that's for sure. I do. I know how to push his buttons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we've been doing the, that show for, I guess, uh, 20 months now. And I, any chance I get to, quote, unquote, steam his broccoli, as we call it, on that episode... <laughs> on that show i do i get i get them steamed so all right well uh thanks for listening guys and uh we'll see you next time